wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, uh, should children be listening to this show? I don't know. I'll check with the attorneys. Welcome to Big Podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. 14 years. We're going on 1,500 episodes. I actually got to change the 1,400 thing. Uh, and uh, we're just looking to have a great year. Uh, lots of great podcasts. We just released a great podcast with the guy who created first-person shooters. He created uh, Wolfenstein 3D, Doom, and everything else, go check that out. Uh, and uh, just a wonderful interview that we finally, we've been sitting around the can and we finally got to release it. So go check that out as well. Uh, today we're going to talking uh, with an amazing top expert in branding, marketing, building a business, and uh, image, and all that sort of good stuff. And uh, she's going to be telling me, of course, probably how to dress better and uh, brand, brand things better on the Chris Foss Show, which usually involves looking better. Which, of course, I don't, which uh, I think we talked about in the green room that uh, her <laughs> suggestion was that I should be replaced by AI. We might talk some AI stuff, so we'll get into that as well. Uh, we have an amazing woman on the show. Uh, Diana Freik is on the show with us today, and uh, she's going to be talking to us about her uh, amazing journey that she's done. She is a marketing industry executive with over 20 years advising brands from Fortune 50 to startups on how to address their toughest growth challenges. As a partner and chief growth officer of branding firm Retail Voodoo, she uses her expertise in brand development, innovation, consumer markets, marketing, and packaging systems to help clients generate meaningful and sustainable growth. Uh, tireless and determined, she's obsessed obsessed i say with the food of with the world of food something like me beverage <laughs> and wellness brands i'm wearing most of it too um and has she has been building long-standing client relationships uh people trust her to put the right combination of people and business assets together to move mountains uh she also hosts the gooder podcast is it gooder or gooder no gooder although i like gooder because you know with a beverage and the food connection yeah, that's nice sell a wine that says, <laughs> says gooder the Good. gooder vodka why 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 drink it because it's gooder um <laughs> see look i know a little bit You're of there. i know about five minutes of branding and you can fit on a thin <laughs> bowl uh she interviews powerful women executives in the food, beverage, and wellness industries about their branding, leadership, and related topics in the consumer package goods industry today. Welcome to the show, Diana. How are you? I am fine, Chris. Might be the best intro to a podcast I've been on since I've been doing this, and it's been for several years, so I just loved it. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. This is why they pay me $5 a show. Um, can I get my check yet? Oh, they said yeah. next year. Um, anyway, uh, I think I think the writer strike for the checks are uh, with the actors uh, yes. in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Did I get your last thing correctly? I want to make you sure you got it. it right. Yeah, you got there it you go. perfect. Yeah, there you absolutely. Go. So give us your dot coms. Where do you want people to find you on the interwebs and learn more about you? And for sure. Company? 
Yeah. So Retail Voodoo, you can find us at uh, retail-voodoo. So some people say retail-voodoo.com. And that's where you'll learn about the, our business of branding and marketing. And you'll also find kind of the homepage for the Gooder podcast. And if you are looking for the Gooder podcast, we are on all the platforms, the Apple, the the I don't know what are they all on anymore Spotify, Amazon, Google Plus, all of them, um, and you'll find I've only been doing the podcast for uh, just over three years now. So um, oh, congratulations! Yeah, yeah, plenty, yeah. plenty of um, amazing guests on the show. Thanks for letting me share that. There you go. We love it. Uh, yeah, most podcasts don't make it past what is it uh, episode twenty or something? Like oh, that. is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, I have no idea. One of my friends who runs one of the big houses uh, told me one day, he goes, the average, uh, 80% of podcasts will die by episode 7. Uh, the 20% that live will die by episode 2025, especially if they don't have their own .com. Oh, really? And, uh, sites like uh, Anchor yeah. have like probably half a million dead what i call zombie podcasts on them yeah yeah and uh so that's why that's why if you can last you know and put out you know uh at least past 25 episodes you're yeah. in the top percentage oh yeah i'm around 200 something like that there you go good job yeah, yeah. Good job. so uh give us a thirty thousand overview of what retail voodoo is and how it works sure so retail food, we're, we're a branding firm and branding is a super slippery word right now because it could mean a number of things. So branding is uh, not just graphic design, but it is also in our world, what we call strategic marketing. So when you're building a brand, it's all of those elements of, we call it North star and business development. So mm. target audience, what do you stand for? What are your mission, vision, values? All of those elements that you want to pull together to make sure that when you get to design and marketing and all of those other kind of activities, that you're all in alignment and that you're creating materials and design elements that are all pointed to the same part of the business. So it doesn't come across sort of um, disjointed or confusing out for the marketplace, if that makes any sense at all. So, yeah, so we do that business part and we do the design part and we do design uh, or marketing and mostly for brands that are in food, beverage, wellness, fitness, all of that sort of anything you put in your body or on your body. Mm. That's the that's the world that we work with. There you go. And I know we were talking about this uh, CPG, yeah. consumer brand packaging, or no, hold on. I yeah, CPG is consumer packaged goods. There you mm -hmm. go. And it's kind of broken out in our industry, in the, in the packaging industry or the consumer goods industry. You have, everybody knows consumer electronics. That's its very own category. CPG is anything that you would buy that you would put that would you would buy that's in a package or in a box or a bag or something like that um, and then it's delineated between fast moving consumer goods so anything that you would purchase weekly or monthly like groceries or shampoo and then there's hard goods and soft goods like clothing and water skis and you know luggage and that that sort of thing there you go. So how did you get in this business? And then we'll get into some of the details <laughs> with advice on uh, branding and stuff that people can use. Really? Yeah, that's a really crazy story. So uh, let's see. When I 
first, when I first uh, was in the industry, I was a, just a gen marketing generalist, hmm. and then decided Not a marketing generalist, a generalist. <gasps> so yeah, oh, I know. So that means I did a little bit of everything. For you know, I was working at an insurance company at the time, which was. Um, a really great company to work for, but not exciting business uh, unless you're really into finance. And there are people that are really into finance, and that's not me. But it's okay. Mm -hmm. Then I uh, then I started dabbling around and jumping around, and I went to work for dot com at one point. This is in 2000, and then the dot com. Those of us that are old enough to remember this, there was a dot com crash. Really? Yes. Never heard of it. <laughs> Never I'm heard of it. I'm pretty young. Yeah, I, and I lost my job, and I was scrambling, and decided to jump into sales, which was not something I knew. Uh, working for a company that sold commercial paper really like went from boring to kind of boring, you know, outside of dot com. The dot com was very fun and exciting. Mm -hmm. But a lot was it done 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 for like, uh, uh, a very similar format, absolutely. Dun Dunder Mifflin, Dun Dunder Mifflin, yeah, something like that. But <laughs> along that journey, I had made a pit stop at a small graphic design firm and had the, uh, a called Workhouse, which doesn't exist anymore. We were doing a lot of .com, but somehow our owners managed to get a project working for Jane Goodall. And oh, wow. we, uh, I wasn't responsible. I was responsible for manufacturing the products and, uh, that the designers came up with for her brand. In 1999, the internet was wow. super, 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 like those of you that d don't know this, before there was the internet, there was a lot of paper being used for pretty much everything. The internet was very, very young. Mm -hmm. And my job was to create all of the marketing materials that you can easily access now digitally. And Jane Goodall came into our offices and she told me because I was responsible for manufacturing everything. We had a one-on-one -on -one conversation where she said I was to make sure that everything that was produced had um, was not detrimental to the planet paid fair wages, um, all the things that kind of like this green movement is right mm -hmm. now that is very common did not exist back then. Wow. And so it was my job to find paper manufacturers that didn't dump wastewater into farming fields. And mm -hmm. so I was calling all around the world and I wow. started to realize how absolutely challenging finding that information was and I spent, I think I was usually allocated like three hours for a project. And I think I spent nearly a hundred hours calling all over the world, wow. trying to find product and manufacturers that could build all of these assets. So that sort of seeded the back of my brain um, in, in a sort of weird way and marinated. And when I went into the dot-com, this dot-com industry, which was one of the first companies that created cookies that we all hate, it was called Ad Relevance. And our job was to, um, we were the first company out there that created cookies for brands to own and plant on our computers. So you can oh, the cookies from the computer, yeah. Yeah, so you guys can blame me for that one, too. Although oh, I, didn't, wow. I was not the tech person. I was a marketing person at the time. She know that she know the company. Don't blame uh, her. No, we called it spiders at the time. It was probably, we called them spiders at the time because they crawled the, the, world wide web, crawl yeah. the web. Yeah. yeah. So then I went to work for a manufacturing company where all of a sudden I realized that I had some intel on 
um, paper manufacturing for environmental purposes mm -hmm. from my experience working with Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. And I started working with all the design firms in our region. I'm in Washington state. So in our region to encourage um, environmental efficacy in their marketing materials. So how do you oh, wow. use po post-consumer waste products, products that did, that use natural bleachers, all stuff that we consumers don't think about. Mm -hmm. But from there, really embedded myself in the design industry. And then in 2006, I joined my business partner here, David Lemley, who I've been working with since then. And he and I worked on REI when we converted REI onto 100% post-consumer waste paper. Oh, wow. um, so we had been working together for a few years there. And then I started working for him and the rest is history. And, and David's experience is with consumer packaged goods. So I just joined him, brought my environmental experience into the conversation. So it's kind of an added experience and benefit that when brands come and work for us, especially those that want to leave a negative or positive footprint, however you want to look at it, on their marketing, which is a big deal for packaging right now is how not to create a bunch of garbage mm -hmm. and leave, um, try not to destroy the earth in the process of making a buck. Mm -hmm. um, so we have my history and David's prowess as a strategic brand builder and we have worked on some pretty killer brands so that's my um 45 minute 5,000 foot 30,000 foot 30,000 50,000 when you're up that high you know I know I know, I know, so, I know. so that's just my background coming into like how did I get here is a strange journey right I yeah. met a number of people where it wasn't a linear path it was definitely one thing influenced another on the way hey well, you've inspired me. You know, we specifically use paper that is built by child labor. And uh, maybe we'll think about getting rid of that. <laughs> oh, so I think that stuff still exists. They don't They don't yeah. market it that way. I can see these little Chinese people putting together seats yeah. of 8 by 11 paper. Oh, yeah. I don't know that it's China anymore. Um, the paper that's done Vietnam. with child labor is being done in some of those countries that aren't as economically strong as china which they've really turned into uh, a thing haven't they yeah we still use faxes here that's what we call the internet so we're <laughs> we, still behind yeah, there you go. we smoke signals yeah that's yeah, that's yeah. that's good too the fire mm -hmm. department says we can't do that anymore uh yeah, after that but environmental one, after what we like to call or they like to call the incident and the so judge, the incident the oh, judge okay. calls the incident okay. um so moving on now, how, how long has Retail Voodoo been around? And tell us about some of the yeah. brands you work with. Sure. Maybe tease out a few couple success stories. Sure. Well, okay. So Retail Voodoo in its in its Retail Voodoo incarnation has been around since 2011. But prior to that, uh, it was Lemley Design. And mm -hmm. uh, that's my business partner's name. And so technically the firm has been in existence since the early 90s. Wow. Uh, we converted it to Retail Voodoo in 2011 for a couple of reasons. One was because I joined, uh, because we were turning me into more of a partner and we wanted to have some uh, equitability in there. And then also we had been a generalist firm that had done a lot of a lot of food and beverage, but we really wanted to kind of say, okay, we're really changing who we are as a business and uh, moving towards a business as a force for good. So we use this retail voodoo moniker because the kind of results that we are able to deliver for our brands are pretty remarkable. Um, we see a lot of early and mid-stage brands that come to us and early to mid-stage could be uh, 
a startup that doesn't exist or anybody mm -hmm. less than five to 10 years, usually stuck somewhere in the five to $10 million range and really wanting to uh, catapult to something much, much larger. But we've also worked with larger brands uh, that many of your folks might be familiar with, like Essential Water, mm. um, uh, Russell Stover um, are on the on more recent um on the more recent side on the larger brands, but also retailers like West Marine and REI. We've worked with Starbucks. We've worked with PepsiCo. And then some of the smaller kind of fun brands that are really, really growing right now, Lesser Evil. Uh, fun, a fun brand that I like to point out is um, we rebranded and basically developed a brand that maybe many of you have not even heard of because they just relaunched this year under a new name in March called Henrietta said it's a snacking brand. It's peanut snacks. That's Buffalo flavored, Buffalo mix flavored. So ancho chili and some really yummy flavors, but they launched in March and by May met their annual sales goals. Wow. So those are the sorts of results that the brands come to us um, expect is exceeding sales goals, sales velocity, and also sales margin, which uh, in layman's term means we sell, sold more product and the company made more money per product than they had been in the past or that they had, than they had expected. There you go. Well, I like the name retail voodoo. I mean, that mm -hmm. sounds, that sounds like a fun iteration and, and it kind of, kind of seems like that's me what more consumers are looking for. Something that's kind of a fun, spunky brand or, you know, some sort of flavor to it as opposed to, you know, Wilson and Wilson. Associates. <laughs> you know. Well, I think it really depends on who you are. So for example, if you're a PepsiCo or a Walmart, which we've worked with in the past, they look for, they typically come to us when they're wanting to do something different than what their current agencies are doing. So when you're a brand and you're multi-billion dollar brand or multi-million dollar brand where a 1% growth or 1% loss is in the millions of dollars, yeah. you tend to make more safer uh, decisions um, mm -hmm. or less risky. I'm going to call them risky decisions. And when you're, when you're really wanting to shake things up, you need to kind of step outside of that safe zone for a, for a moment and be willing mm -hmm. to take a calculated risk. So you come to a firm like ours who is going to say, okay, this is here's the safe zone. And just outside the safe zone looks like this. And here's what the relative uh, opportunity looks like your relative growth opportunity or customer acquisition opportunity or margin opportunity, all of those types of things. So people come to us when they want to be challenged in mm -hmm. their thinking and they want to something different or if they're wanting significant disruption. On the other side is we've had brands come to us that were, uh, there's one brand in particular that was a major national brand came to us after three years of sales decline and they said, we, we're not quite sure what to do in this scenario. And they hired us to come in because Walmart had said, if you don't fix this, we're going to remove your product off the Whoa. floor. 
which if you're uh, selling product like this is a big deal. Yeah, so Walmart. Yeah. yeah, so they came to us and they said, can you help us figure out what the scenario was? And we really needed to age down their positioning. So earlier I said, we de we developed like, what's your, what's your North Star? We mm -hmm. call that positioning in technical terms. So we had to age down their North Star. They had been technically marketing to older Americans. Uh -huh. And what we found was that opportunity was saturated and older Americans meant also less vir virality, you know, yeah. there's, you know, social media there, there's no potential growth. So we had to take their positioning and age it down to an audience that was uh, at the time, uh, younger millennials who mm -hmm. really wanted access to the product, but they didn't want to buy something that looked like something their grandmother, <laughs> right? So it was a matter of like, okay, well, who are we talking to? Why do they buy? What is it? What's important to them? And then build that opportunity and then use our design language and our marketing language in such a way that it would not only deliver on the messaging that we had created in the positioning, this North star, but then also resonate and turn into sales. And within one year time, they had recovered three years of sales decline and had, they were in the number one position in all what we call KPIs, basically everything that you would measure a uh, possible sales. Um, mm -hmm. They had gone to number one. So we were able to re vitalize that brand by just redefining the audience and then designing a language system for them that worked for them. Does that make sense? That totally does. Uh, you know, it, and so basically by rebranding and re-imaging, perhaps they're, they're well, rebranding re their image uh, to a more younger, maybe hipper audience, they were able to turn their sales around. Do I have that correct? No, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's very, very important. One of my favorite brands when it comes to positioning that I think, uh, I'm, I don't know if, if your listeners might know, because this is also for a younger audience, is a water brand in a can called Liquid Death. Are you familiar yeah, with this? Yeah, that's really popular. It's really popular. And for two or three years, they really struggled, maybe even a little bit longer because people, the industry had said to them, this is not our brand, but I love to talk about them as a, as a case of positioning and strategy. Uh, people were the, in, within the industry said, nobody's going to buy pro, uh, water brought water in a can. That's just not going to happen. And then one of their marketers, and I give this to their founder who is a marketer as well said, um, let's double down on the fact that aluminum is recyclable and we're going to go after this whole environmental play. So liquid death is uh, basically uh, water and it stands for the death to plastic and wow. all of their brand positioning. If you go onto their website and you look at their videos, it's very edgy because generation X and younger millennials are very self-conscious about uh, their environmental footprint and all of the elements uh, of, of the, generations before them and the damage that's been done in their mind and they also wanted something that did not smell like mom and dad's water so let's move away from the smart water let's move away like i don't want that i want something that talks to me so they have like tony hawk on there and yeah. I, all of those brands and the minute they started to talk about this environmental footprint and its alignment their north star around liquid death and death to plastic and then they started using all of these viral video techniques that really spoke to this younger audience, that brand took off. So rather than trying to be this water in a can for everybody, they said, our positioning is going to be for this younger audience. 
This is what's important to them. We can deliver on it. So let's go for it. And so to give people an idea, they seem like they were an overnight success. This is a few years of them working on this. And this is what positioning can do for you. If you're flopping around and not quite sure what to do with your brand, brand positioning, start there because then you know what to do with your design. Then you know what to do with your marketing. That's pretty brilliant. And the, the cans are really cool to look at. You know, totally. Like, kind of like a tattooish sort of lookish design. You know, what's funny is for longest time, and I'm not hip or cool, so I, you know, I'm just an, some old guy. <laughs> I, I don't I'm, believe that, Chris. I'm, Come I'm on Clint now. Eastwood on the lawn going, <laughs> get up my lawn with the hose. I've reached, I reached that point. And so, Do you have a cane yet? I, I, pro I should, probably should have one so that I can whack people. There you go. I don't need it to stand up because I go to the gym every day, but I just need one so I can hit exactly. people reach. Exactly. Just because they, they need get off my lawn. But uh, So I didn't really get it, but I looked at the branding on the can, and I always thought it was beer. Yeah. Yep. I thought it was like El Loco, you know, sort of yeah. Mexican-based beer. And yeah. I was like... I don't know why I put that two together. And yeah. for the longest time, I didn't get there was water. And one day I was looking at one going, what the hell is this again? And and I'm like, wait, water? Yeah. Was it beer water? Like, yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I don't hang out with the hip crowd. They don't tell well, me. Well, you're, you know, yeah, exactly. You're not the target audience. So you're not getting any of the messaging, <laughs> right? I'm still drinking out of plastic bottles like an old bastard. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to um, do? What are you going to do? I'm not, I'm not cool and hip. You know, I, I learned I wasn't cool and hip, uh, sometime in my twenties when MTV started putting bands on that. I was like, who's that? Uh, exactly. And, uh, yeah. And then they quit putting music on altogether. And I yeah, was like, well, shit. <laughs> um, so why, why is branding important for brands? So entrepreneurs that are out there, people that are out there running yeah. companies, uh, why is branding important to them and, and sometimes either repositioning or sometimes yeah. really thinking about how they're building out that brand when they're coming to market? Yeah. Well, the long and short of it is this. When you know who your target audience is, how they want to interact with you, what they expect from you, and how they want to be communicated with, you end up saving a lot of time and a lot of money with your marketing dollars. That's oh. number one right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're doing what you call a shotgun approach. Let's try this. Now let's try this. Maybe they want this or maybe they want that. And you can certainly get to the end result of, mm -hmm. of finding all of that brand position or all of your target audience and what brand positioning might work for you from just trial and error. Mm -hmm. But it takes a long time and it usually takes a lot of money. And let's face it, most of us are not multi, most of brands that were that are out there in this universe are not multi-billion dollar brands mm -hmm. or even in the nine figure million dollar brands and to be spending 40,000 or a hundred thousand or, uh, you know, uh, on activities that on um, marketing activities that don't generate simply because you're doing trial and error it is frustrating. Uh, and I also think that, or not, I don't think that I also know that, uh, most brands and this is all businesses, service business, it could be any business. When you understand what your brand is and you understand what your audience is looking for, then you can create even more products that fit their needs. You can dump the products and services that don't fit their needs. Like there's just an overall cost. You know, we could get into the technological cost benefit, to understanding your positioning you invest in what all of that looks like up front and you save yourself time and money on the end mm -hmm. 
There you go. And, and, and it, it, I mean, do you have to sit down with people nowadays and say, hey, Gen Xers, what the hell do you people want already? A little bit. I mean, there's you can buy research for sure, right? You, you can buy research mm -hmm. and you can pull people. Pulling people is a little bit uh, tricky because most people, when they're being pulled, are trying to figure out how you want to answer Ah. how you want the answer. And so they give you information that may be somewhat accurate, but maybe not a hundred percent accurate. So it's a combination of polling people and researching people. There's actually a, an amount of um, anthropology that goes mm -hmm. into it. So we take a look at what are the buying trends, what's happening with social media, what's happening in popular culture, and then overlay that with any kind of, research that we might do independently and then say based off of this information here's here's how we would position the brand or here's here's a kind of a design language that would work well for them and when i say design language i mean all the graphic design elements of a brand that you would mm -hmm. have that's the design language so you know is blue going to be better than green or are sharp angles versus soft angles that sort of thing but yeah I don't know if I answered your question. I think you did. There's okay. there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, uh, we used to, back in the day of brick and mortar companies, we used to use the shotgun approach. Yep. If we didn't know who our target market was. Absolutely. And so we, you know, we'd hit different uh, industries or venues that we yeah. thought were doing that. We'd sometimes yeah. di dumpster dive competitors. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then we, we kind of, feel out where it would come and then and then we respond to the market and whatever the consumers are like yeah. hey, over here we'll 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 use you um and and i've always admired people that can do branding and stuff because you know we're not good at it the chris foss show you know i remember when we started years ago we were like you know we're gonna name it something about social media and we're talking you know social mm -hmm. media is really hot then and i had the vision and foresight or the lack thereof one of the two to say i don't know that i want to be talking about this 10 years from now right i don't know this is even gonna be hot 10 years from now yeah so what should we call it and uh so um we called it the chris voss show because yeah. then it could be whatever i want absolutely. absolutely now it's just really an old man on a lawn with a mic yelling at young kids uh get off my lawn Oh show. my gosh. Do you have kids? No, I don't. Oh my gosh. Have you ever seen that Disney movie called Nomeo and Juliet? No. Oh, okay. Well, there's a clip in there where one of the <laughs> I have kids, right? So one of the one of the gnomes decides to attack another gnome garden. For those listening, you'll know this one. And yeah. goes online and orders something called the Terra Ferminator, which is like the <laughs> the um this basically this lawnmower that basically will do construction on your yard and completely destruct it. I'll send you a clip so that you can sure. see because you will yeah. totally laugh and say, I need one of those. Well, gnomes are terrorists by They nature. are. Yeah. Absolutely. Everybody Absolutely. knows that. <laughs> yeah. I don't trust gnomes. Anytime I, anytime I see one, I, I go the other way and I don't trust Smart. anybody. Smart. Yeah. No. You never know when they're going to turn on you. Like no, they, they just have that, that that funny face. They stand there and they're just waiting for you to turn your back. Yeah, see, now you got to go watch the movie the because it'll all come to life. No, you might have, you may have you may have nightmares, but it it's is a movie. Disney movie, so it won't. I actually, I actually, you know how people fear clowns? I yes. fear gnomes. No, so, you uh, don't. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It sounds like a bit I could do on stand up or something. There you I go. I, I have a I, you know people have a clown thing. I have a gnome thing. There you go. Um, I, but there's also a gnome only fans that I subscribe to as well, but we won't get into that. <laughs> um, there probably is one, you know, there, is. there probably is one. 
probably is. Yeah. So uh, if, if this is kind of interesting. You, you've taken companies that are struggling with sales. They're struggling with their image. Uh, you know, there's lots of different uh, probably examples. Uh, probably some simple ones are like, you know, Federal Express, you know, came out and said, we're just going to be FedEx because everyone calls yeah. us FedEx. Yeah. There's probably a few different, um, um, you know, like my name, you know, Chris Voss. Everyone just calls mm -hmm. me stupid. So now we just go with stupid and four-letter expletives. Um, but there's lots of different ways that, that brands can do that. Um, and so why, why is it important to hire uh, an agency like yours to try and figure out a way to, to you know, maybe get out of the box or whatever the case is, yeah, to try and yeah. figure out a new way to rebrand? Well, it really depends on what your end goal is. So mm -hmm. I, I want to go on the record of saying that not everybody that comes to us is struggling. There are many brands that are doing quite well mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how can I do better mm -hmm. or um, setting themselves up for what's really popular with small to mid-sized brands right now is uh, creating a brand that they can exit with. And exit means that they can sell for a lot of money. And so they'll look to us to create something with incredible value. Mm -hmm. So wh why is it that you would go with a branding firm, uh, particularly if you're in CPG, why would you go with a firm with a CPG expertise? Or if you're in medical industry, why would you go to somebody with medical expertise? It's no different than if you are, uh, a tr if you are training for a marathon and you want to get better at your, PRs, or, or you are a weightlifter or do yoga, you typically want to go to those people that can help you get to that next level, because it's really hard to what I like to say, operate on yourself, you can mm -hmm. get to a certain level, but what you can't see or what you don't know about the marketplace, or um, it could be hindering you and in whatever your end goal is. So you want to come to somebody that's been doing this for brand over brand over brand over brand, because we bring continual upgraded expertise. Not only do we do brand work, but on our end, we're constantly educating ourselves. And that's a question that I would also recommend that when you're working with any expert, whether it's a CPA or branding firm, just find out how do you guys stay on top of trends? How do you guys make sure you're implementing something that is 2023 looking forward, not something that you've been doing since 1989 or whenever. So um, we also know that if you are in a place of, you know, listen, our sales are flat or we're losing margin or something's going on. Uh, sometimes the changes that need to be made are ones that are hard to make or hard to see. And so it's much easier to have somebody external do the quote unquote, operation and say this is really where the error is mostly there's blind spots in place it's not yeah. that people don't know what they're doing we work with many many smart people and many many smart brands but if you were working with a brand and let's say you have wearing too many hats within your organization you're probably not going in deep enough or mm -hmm. you don't have time to do the investigative work you want somebody to partner alongside with you you need that external expertise like you would a doctor or a teacher or a therapist in any other particular way. Those are all the reasons why you would want to use somebody externally for any sort of expertise, marketing, finance, HR, that sort of thing. Do you guys do brand repair? And, you know, it sounds like you keep brands from getting in trouble, but do you do brand repair? Like if they miss brand or they, they step outside of their norm and they end up kind of in the PR 
poo poo toilet? Yeah, that it really depends on what the situation is. Most people, if you're having a, what we would call a PR crisis, that's going to be more communications. That's going to be a PR mm. specialist. That would not be us. Yeah. We can help triage after the fact, especially if it's something that is brand centric. So if we if there's um, a problem with the brand intrinsically that needs to be updated, then that's when we partner up with P and PR folks and firms will sometimes reach out to us and say, Hey, we, we need to do some triage on this brand positioning or the brand in general, then we'll assist. But typically if you are having a PR crisis in the moment, mm -hmm. you usually have a PR expert that's in there immediately because brand work takes about two to three months before it can be done. And then it takes, it's like four to six months to investigate, develop, and then implement. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the middle of a crisis, four months is could you could be out of business by then. Yeah. I don't know if you want to get into this, but we, we, we have uh, one of the uh, Anheuser-Busch family members on next uh, week. Uh -huh. uh, they published a book, and the book is about how it went from a family business to being taken over. There's a story, I guess, where it was taken over by uh, a company, and it was it ended up being, a, I guess, a hostile takeover. And oh. kind of a story about the brand and stuff. But there is kind of a famous kerfuffle right now about... Uh, I guess Bud Light trying to maybe do a little rebranding or expanding yeah. their brand or some yeah. segue. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about how, you know, branding and, 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 and managing your brand in, in such yeah. a way, sometimes it can backfire. It can. Yeah. It can. And so it can end up some different ways. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bud Light situation, uh, the Bud Light situation is a little bit tricky because you can mm -hmm. tell that, their intentions on the front end were to create an inclusivity in a category that generally doesn't have any. So what mm -hmm. that, what that means is light beer is not really uh, known to be a, a really wide ranging uh, category of, of types of drinkers. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the biggest challenge that they had was beer in general is seeing decline in sales because yeah. um, Gen Z and younger millennials are not drinking alcohol at the rate that those of us Gen Xers and older and even older millennials uh, drink. And so beer is really getting hit very hard. Mm -hmm. And this inclusivity play that they were doing with the can was a pivot to talk to a younger generation that is open to all of this kind of life, every lifestyle. And mm. I think this is without me seeing what the strategy was. And this, so I'm just like, I am, what do you call that? Quarterbacking. Yeah. yeah. We're just, we're just kind of yeah. kicking the can around. If, yeah, if I was to have be sitting in the room with them, I'm imagining that the conversations were around how to, um, how to bring in this new audience and what mm -hmm. happens with with all of the brands that we work with is the same thing that happened in this moment how do i get a new audience without alienating my existing audience yeah. and yeah. i think that the bud light the recommendations on the bud light audience side when they were looking at it perhaps were um not thinking about what the in what the current audience how they might respond to it mm -hmm. um that's the first part. Now, the second part of this is, unfortunately, 
it only takes a few people. And when I say a few in a country of billions, it yeah. only, you know, it could be million, it could be a couple million people that have an issue and start flooding social media and creating a negative backlash where uh, it's possible that a majority of their audience is like, I don't care. I'm going to drink the Bud Light beer, but now you've got a million or two people or a million people that are talking shit out there, excuse my French. And now we've got a PR crisis. Right? Yeah. And the unfortunate component is, is the influencer that they, that Bud Light used was caught in the crosshairs. And I am not sure that that person was supported when all the shit went down. So there's a number of things that happened there. And yeah. I don't know all the backstory, but I, well, all I'm looking at is you could tell Bud Light was just like going, let's just create a more inclusive product. We know that yeah. this audience is open to it. Oh crap. These people are, are totally against this. Bud Light did exactly what they, what they should have done from a business standpoint is they tried to see if they could keep that campaign going. And once they realized it wasn't going to fly, they um, abandoned it and um, moved back to some more traditional, uh, that more the traditional marketing. I don't know that they've recovered that audience yet. It's possible. Or the business for that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Evidently it, they haven't. Yeah. And it, uh, it's the same beer. It's just, yeah. for me, it's just like it's light it's just, beer for yeah, hell's sakes. <laughs> who drinks that crap? <laughs> like, I was, I was just like, who, mm -hmm. there are people drinking light beer? Well, the, anyway, the just, um, probably going to lose my light beer. On the, it, oh, but. you might. Ooh. The, I just was like, really, I personally was a little bit <laughs> shocked about the, the violence that was demonstrated on social media. Yeah, like, you know, like people yeah, you, shooting their beers. Yeah, like, if you that's don't beer, like, man. Yeah, if you don't like the beer, don't buy it. Yeah, just end I, of story. Done. I'm wasting good beer. I mean, I used to drink and and uh, wasting good beer. That seems like a heresy in and of itself. You know, uh, th there's a lot to that whole kerfuffle, and and yeah. uh, it, it seems like it's going to be written about in business books from years to come because a lot of beer brands have have, ex uh, have embraced or or said you know we're acceptance of uh, being inclusive and yeah. LGBTQ community. Yeah. And you know how they responded to it, where they just kind of went blackout with no not saying anything for like 30 or 60 days. Uh, one thing that was interesting to me was the, and I, and I found it offensive actually as a man was the young lady who uh, was one of their VPs and they caught a video of her where she basically just crapped on the people who bought the brand. And she's like, well, oh. it's a frat boy brand and yeah. just the thing men do to get together. And it's time yeah. to change all that and throw, you know, fuck that model. Yeah. And that was the whole Thing. and i was offended by it yeah. i was like yeah yeah well fuck you man and yeah. i'm very supportive of the lgbtq yeah. community yeah um but i was just like i was just like wow you know it's like the pga tour just saying yeah fuck people who play golf we're gonna yeah. go with frisbee golf or something yeah. you know yeah it's not it's not a smart idea and so when we talk about brand positioning <laughs> let's okay so let's circle back to this whole brand positioning you thing. if your company does not honestly believe in the audience that got you to where you are mm. you need to check yourself so if she genuinely said those things and she meant those things that to me is an indication of poor leadership mm -hmm. because uh, you cannot discount, regardless of whether you uh, align with the beliefs or the people of 
of the brand, you, you can't discount the fact that they're the consumer. And if it, you are not consumer first, mm-hmm. your consumers will know right away. And if she, so, if she's discounted this brand and started targeting a new audience and then talking publicly about what the former audience is like, that's going to be hard to recover from. And there will probably need to be a little bit more. You'll see more PR as the brand tries to recover their sales and their audience in that yeah. regard. You have to you have to respect your consumer and your clients. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to have a problem. If they feel like you don't respect them, then you then you got problems. And yeah. I, I think I think her video was the real impetus. Really? Because, yeah, they caught onto the they locked into that really clearly. Yeah. Because you know most most beer brands have done LGBTQ uh, inclusive in stuff. some way. They've done it in some way. Every yeah. brand has. Yeah. But you know, so why did it go? And I, I think it was just her callous sort of video that they caught. Really? Because I, I saw that right away. In the thing, and even I was offended. I don't drink light beer. I'll, I'll drink yeah. normal beer. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a man. Damn it. Yeah. I'm not drinking any light beer. And American <laughs> beer is so awful anyway. But you know, next week we'll have uh, Billy Bush on. Who's and that's not Billy that's Bush. That's pretty great. Jimmy Carter days. Right. Um, that's Billy Bush uh, from the Bush uh, Anheuser-Busch. I mean, it's going to be interesting. He wrote the book about something else completely. Interesting. With the Anheuser-Busch and their family yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But it'll be interesting to see his take on how that spun out. Uh, yeah. But the, the moral, the lesson here is branding is important and honoring your brand and honoring yeah. your consumer is important. Absolutely. Uh, what else have we touched on that we can uh, move on to? Oh man. Well, I don't Packaging, know how yeah, branding. I don't know how much of your audience is um is in the CPG space uh mm-hmm. but on the packaging front, one of the biggest things. Let's talk a little bit about we're going to just talk about design here for a moment mm-hmm. and the hot topic of the day which is this generative AI. Oh, there you and, go. And its influence in design right now. So mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that we are seeing in our industry are startup brands using, well, I'm going to be very, very clear, generative AI versus AI. So AI is something that is technology that we've told the computer to think about and do. And mm-hmm. generative AI is kind of this open platform where it's creating from sources out in the universe that it has access to. Incidentally, I don't know if you know this, but there is a, I don't remember, but part of the government is going to be investigating the uh, ChatGPT platform because the something about where and how ChatGPT collects information, whether mm. it's copywritten or not, and uses yeah. it as an aggregation tool mm. is something of concern. So uh, I thought that was interesting, but let's talk about AI in the world of marketing and in the world of design. And that is what we're use. We use generative AI as a kind of a foundational tool. You cannot create something net new. Mm-hmm. Like uh, AI takes what's out there and creates an aggregate of what's out there. And mm-hmm. if you are looking to create something new, that's disruptive Generative AI won't do that. Generative AI will create something that fits whatever is happening out in the marketplace right now. And if you need massive disruption, you can't use something that's already out in the marketplace. So how our team uses generative AI is in two ways, whether we're looking at writing or design, we create, we have a set of prompts that we like to use to help us 
kind of create a thinking point. Mm -hmm. So rather than starting with a blank page, you know, we've got our brand positioning, we've got all of our tools, we know who our target audience is, that's great. Now it's time to do the creative component. We use AI as kind of like a, what is a blank slate? Where do we start from? Because what AI, generative AI is great at, that mm -hmm. humans are not at is generative AI doesn't have a bias. Oh. And as humans, humans, we always have a bias. Yeah, we always true. take so there is a particular approach. So when you're looking at design firms, you might notice there is always a there's always some consistency between design. Some design firms sell their design and their capabilities based off of having a style. Mm -hmm. And because people come to us asking us to build these businesses that make loads and loads of money are incredibly disruptive. They look to us for opportunity to crack things open. Mm -hmm. So it's really how we recommend with, uh, and we recommend this to any marketer out there is to use AI as a way of looking as a tool to kind of look at whatever work they're doing in a way that they might not naturally do it so that they can remove bias from the work from whatever their outputs are does that make sense definitely definitely uh it's it's interesting how the whole thing is going to work out i believe the uh copyright uh patent uh u.s government thing has already said that you know they're not going to allow you know certain things like that to be licensed there's kind of an interesting thing with copyright where you know you have access to parity yes and, you yes know, and but I, they may have to rewrite the rules on it because yeah you know if you're it's one thing if I'm parroting something. So like if I take the Chris Voss show and I'm another yeah. brand and I yeah. write stuff on it or, you know, right. go, Hey, look at this uh, yeah. idiot with all the blue stuff in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, that's parody um, yeah. and uh, commentary. And, 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 and I think there's some rules that has to kind of improve the product or something a little bit, mm -hmm. but when it's being taken from like 200 different sources or something. Right. And you know, you're just like, it's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of interesting how that whole thing's going to work out. Yeah. I just finished up my MBA program and the la la my last quarter we talked about, we were talking about legal mm. and we were, and our professor was talking about how generative AI and uh, uh, is going to be challenging a lot of copyright laws. Then we'll yeah. probably see a lot of changes in the next several years. Yeah, and I know some ad agencies and different agencies like yours have banned it because they're worried that they'll pick up other people's work or copyright issues. Yeah. Yep. And and really what the, the the essence of what they sell is the individual talent. And, Absolutely. And, and the yep. skill and their 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 yep. copy that they sell. Yeah. And uh that's the hard work of it. And yep. you know, if you're just if you're just, I don't know, editing whatever's GPT is spitting out. Yeah. I mean, how much value is in that, really? I don't know. Well, it depends on how you use it, right? Yeah, that's so true. So, for example, like, I, I'll tell you, like, we just finished up um, another packet. We're going to be delivering um, some concepts to a client. And for us, we usually do somewhere, I don't know, 60 to 100 concepts internally before we oh, wow. present about two or three. Wow. And uh, there was... I think there were a couple of concepts that were foundationally came from wow. um, chat GPT, whatever the equivalent is. Mm -hmm. But when we layer it against the positioning, it wasn't working. It wasn't meeting the needs. 
But that doesn't mean that that idea didn't go, oh, I, I like how that's happening. Let's pull that part of the idea yeah. and apply it over here, which is all the creative is. Creative yeah. is take what the need is and start to go, oh, I like this color. Or I like how this is interacting or I like how this does something like that. So it, I think if you are lifting chat GPT wholly for itself, you're going to get shit. It'll <laughs> look It'll look beautiful. We call it lipstick on a pig. It'll look beautiful. It's not going to do the work that it needs to do. But that doesn't mean it's it can't be a tool. Just like when in branding, I um I this was before my time, but I know about this is when it went when computers were first brought into graphic design. It was all being done by hand. Yeah. People were losing their mind. <laughs> Computers were going to kill the industry. It was going to kill creativity. People are going to do it. It was going to, and, and if anything, computers has amplified creativity to a, a point that at that time they couldn't have even thought of. Yeah. Like at all. So I think we're on the front end of that. And I don't think people should be afraid of it. I think they have to be vigilant, is probably mm -hmm. the word, is make sure that you're not, you know, like everything that we do, we run through copyright. Everything that mm -hmm. we do is cross-checked because if we do anything, whether it's creating a name, creating a package, creating marketing activities, if it isn't legit, that's our credibility on the line, period, end mm -hmm. of story. But is it something to be afraid of? No, it's going to, it's going to, you know, don't use it 100% of the time quite yet. Watch what it does. But what you don't want to be is a marketer that avoids it. And then in five years, when it's now working as it should be, eh, you're going to be behind. Like yeah. you have to start to think about how to incorporate it into. And I think this is going to be true with all businesses. Just play with it. See what happens. Don't mm -hmm. don't use it as a crutch. Use it as kind of another tool. Does it help you think differently? Does it help you think mm -hmm. better, smarter? Um, that's what I would say on our end, um, where, what we're being told, at least in the design industry, as all, all of us senior levels are talking about ourselves, like if we aren't looking at how to leverage AI as a tool in five years, those that don't know how to use it are going to be unemployable. There you go. I, and I, and I believe you're true. Uh, you're correct in that because, uh, you know, I think it's, it, to me, it's a wonderful idea of playground. Like yeah. you can fart around with ideas where you, yeah. you know, uh, Hey, uh, try this and see it works. And, you know, I mean, I, I think I had someone on the show, one of the professors or authors from some big school yeah. and he said, he said, we're going to be maybe creating less and writing less, but being more editors yeah. than anything else. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 There, there was a recent story of uh, the attorney who, who used, uh, chat GPT yeah. to write his, uh, argument and references yeah, so I heard about it, and like then none of them existed or yeah something. like it just like made that. up stuff and yes yeah, somebody didn't do their homework yeah. yeah the internet has fake stuff on it who knew what yeah, yeah a small portion of it i think no. oh wow or maybe it's the vastness I'm of it shocked. i forget it's one of the two yeah. uh shocked i say shocked <laughs> so there you go well this has been really insightful diana uh yeah. how can people reach out to your company and work with sure. you get advice yeah. from you consult etc cetera, etc cetera? sure well, you can always reach out to me on my, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Diana, F-R-Y-C. There's only one of me. 
um, thankfully or unfortunately, however you want to look at it. And I communicate a lot through there. You can also, uh, and you can link in with me too. You don't have to communicate with me. You can just follow my BS. You can also take a look at us at retail-voodoo, retail-voodoo.com. And my, um, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram right now. That's our only channels. And uh, you can email me directly on diana.fryc at retail-voodoo.com. There you go. And did we get a plug-in for the podcast? Sure, yeah. And those of you that are interested in hearing about women leaders in this kind of food, beverage, and wellness space on the CPG side, take a look at the Gooder podcast. We are on... Apple, Apple is our where our biggest audience is, yeah. and Spotify, on Amazon, all the major platforms were out there as well. You'll find more details on the Retail Voodoo website as well for that uh, for the podcast. There you go. Well, it's been fun, Diana. We've learned a lot and uh, kicked around the can. Uh, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate. Oh gosh, it. my pleasure, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, Chris. you. And thanks to my audience for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Apple, too, as well. You can find us at goodreads.com, Foss, LinkedIn.com, Foss. Subscribe to the LinkedIn newsletter. Go to uh, YouTube.com, TikTok, you know, all the crazy places all those kids are playing and whatever. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have a